You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Well, today we find ourselves in Isaiah 5. Isaiah 5. Verses 1 through 7 is a short passage. And it says this. Actually, before we dive into that, let me pray really quick or I'll forget. Uh, I just want to pray if you need some healing today in your body for anything physical, whether you're watching us online or you're in the room, just put your hands out like you're receiving a gift. And God, right now, in the name of Jesus, I just pray your Holy Spirit would fill these hands that are hanging out there, waiting for that gift. Would your healing come? Would those in need of a touch from heaven be touched today? That they would find your mercy, your grace, and that they would respond by giving you their lives. Lord, for those who are very heavy laden with sicknesses that they've been facing for a long time, would those be uh, broken in their earthly power and any demonic power? that only your spirit would break through and bring heaven in those places. And for those who have surgeries and sickness, uh, sicknesses to be addressed by doctors ahead of them, would you give the doctors wisdom, but would you also heal them now so that when they show up, things are fixed? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved has a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. And he hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes. But it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I tell you what what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it will be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds. That they rain, no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are as pleasant planting. They look for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. You know, when this passage starts off, we're we're feeling pretty happy. (laughs) My beloved, let me sing to you a song. (laughs) Like, all right, hey, you know, after four chapters of kind of riding this wave of doom and gloom and then and then blessing on those who are faithful. Now we get to this moment we're using song of songs type kind of language where we're celebrating belovedness. It's this love song that's being written. And then all of a sudden it just goes straight to Adele, right? Just like. All right, here's my sad lyrics about, <laughs> about my lover, let me tell you. <laughs> oh, but uh, before we get there, we have this moment for hope for the faithful. My beloved, let me tell you this song. And basically God sets it out like this. Look, I gave you everything you needed 
Instead of a song, it's more like a parable, right? Jesus is always speaking in stories to get people to realize where's their place in the parable. And his song becomes parabolic. I gave you everything you needed. You're like a vineyard. I gave you perfect soil. I I set up towers to look over to protect it. I I put in hedges to make sure that it was protected. It's beautiful. It's this garden. You had all the sun you need. You had all the rain you needed. And you, Israel, you are like the vines. And I waited for the grapes to come. I waited for the, the beautiful produce that I had labored for. Instead of grapes, I got wild grapes. I actually like the literal translation, okay? Like wild grapes, I don't know what that does in your mind, but for me, I'm like, is that bad? Like wild cherry Pepsi, I like that, you know? Is is wild grapes like just a new version of grapes? It's not, of course, it's a bad thing. (laughs) But the literal translation, if we weren't going to call it wild grapes, literally the Hebrew would be stink fruit. I went to grow grapes, but instead I got stink fruit. It's inedible. It smells bad. It tastes bad. It's bitter. You would never stick this thing in your mouth and eat it. You would never make a wine out of this. No one would call this a fine mixture. It would not age well. There's nothing I could do with this except get rid of it. I went to grow grapes, but I got stink fruit. And that's what God begins to tell Israel. It's like, what did I do wrong? <laughs> Any, anybody, anybody here garden at all? My wife, Gar, she just pulled out the, the crops today. A bunch of carrots that are yay high. I think she just discovered how to make the mini carrots that they sell you at the store. I, I don't know. But either way, that, for Jody, it's a good example. She puts all the time and effort into it. She, she goes out. She, she makes sure that it's taken care of. She waters it. She drives from our house to her aunt's house to make sure that it's taken care of. She labors over it. By all means, the work that Jody has done should procure a greater crop than stink carrots. But in the end, not that your carrots are stinky, honey. That's not what I mean. <laughs> but in the end, what she gets is something that does not match the labor that she's put into it. And that's what God's speaking over Israel. I did everything right. You know, Jody can do everything right in her gardening. Maybe many of you have had those moments where it's like, I did everything that I could this summer, and this is the crop I got. What's going on here? You can do everything right, but let's remember this is God, right? This is God's parable. So when God says, like, I did everything right, like, you're taking all the variables into account. (laughs) And yet at the end, what happens? Israel, you give me stink fruit. Stink fruit. Ineditable. Does not taste good. Would not stick this in my mouth. Would not serve this to my friends. And what, what Isaiah does here is the perfect example of how parables go. You have to find yourself in the story. And then the story twists. And then suddenly you're like, wait a minute. Who am I in this story? I, I was thinking maybe I'd be the gardener. I was thinking maybe I would be the garden. But the last thing I was thinking would I, I would be the stink fruit. <laughs> And when you have those moments with God, sometimes you get defensive where it's like, well, God, hang on, let's chat here. You know, like from your perspective, you see things one way. But from my perspective, I was dealing with this, this, this and this. And that's part of the reason the fruit came out this way. And God, would you really say stink fruit? I mean, you see Joab over there. I mean, talk about a guy who's stinkier than stink fruit. I mean, that guy. (laughs) Just like defensive, trying to get our way out of this. That's, that's often a human reaction. But the beauty 
of the prophets and their parables is it forces you to respond. Will you harden your heart? Will you find yourself in the place that you're called to? Or will you not receive that word? I think of David. David had a prophet named Nathan. Nathan comes up to him. He's like, look, dude, I want to tell you a story uh, that's happened in your kingdom. There's this guy with, there's a rich guy and a poor guy, and they both have sheep. And the rich guy goes, and when he needs to have a party, he steals the poor guy's sheep because he doesn't want to slaughter any of his own. And he slaughters the poor guy's sheep. And David, because he's a shepherd, right? So, like, think if you're hanging out with sheep all the time. Like, they're not just, like, giving you cotton for your clothes and all that. They're your friends, man. David's, David's got friends who are sheep, okay? And David, like, here's this... Sorry, what? what? Cotton comes from a plant, I'm told. Wool, on the other hand, thank you, Minecraft. <laughs> Look, I didn't say I was good at gardening or any kind of agricultural anything, okay? My wife did forget to correct me two weeks ago when I was talking about the equatorial radius of the earth versus the circumference of the earth, but you all know I messed that up, so there's no reason to explain that again. Uh, Anyways, what were we talking about? Stink fruit, sheep. David's got sheep friends. And when he hears of how this man has abused this poor, this rich man's abused this poor man's sheep, David's like, ah, this guy's going to pay. He's going to give him fourfold of his sheep back. I mean, this is just, this is out of line. This is completely inappropriate. And Nathan stops. He's like, David, the rich guy who stole from the poor guy is you, man. You're the king. You're the richest here. And yet you went to a poor guy in the land and you stole his wife and then had him killed. You're the bad guy in the story. You're the antagonist. And David has a moment in that parable. What do I do? Do I harden my heart? Well, hang on. It's not exactly like that. Or do I soften my heart and receive that? And David receives it. David understands, wow, I am the bad guy. I can't believe I did that. Oh my goodness, this is horrible. What did I do? That's what parables can do for us. It puts us in the story and it opens us up. And it helps us to understand who we are in the story and if we need to repent or not. We've seen other stories like this. I find often that uh, um, God often brings to light through the gift of prophecy things that we're not aware of. I always found this surprising, you know, like uh, when I first started learning that God could speak to you and then give you a word for someone else. I was like, I'm afraid to go up to those people because I got a whole checklist of things that God's going to say to me. And like maybe if I get too close to them, like their antenna, spirit antenna will go off and be like, whoop, whoop, James a sinner, come over here. I got something to say to you. That was my fear. And I had the whole list. I'm like, which one's God's going to mark down on me, man? I feel so bad and shameful for all these things. And so finally, when I finally give myself over to God and I'm willing to just be prayed for, receive a word, the words that I constantly get are words about things that I don't know about. (laughs) Not about the things I do know about, 
Not that God couldn't talk to me about something that I do know about. He has done that before. But oftentimes it's like, Jamin's already got that on his radar. I have a moment to speak to him. I want to talk to him about this thing. Jamin, you need to learn to cry again. Whoa, hold up. That's not on the list anywhere. That's like 100th place. What are you talking about? Cry again. <laughs> Jamin this, Jamin this, Jamin this. And going through the checklist, it's like, this is not there. What's going on? Oftentimes when God wants to speak to us, he brings up the things that are deep within us that we are not aware of. Let me just pause for a moment. I've heard stories of pastors when they're preaching, they're like gazing at people and they're like, oh, he's referring to me. I don't have my glasses on. I literally don't even know who you are right now. Okay, so I'm not gazing at anyone just in case it comes across that way. Sometimes God goes after the things that you are not aware of. And in those moments, you have to respond. Which way is it going to go? Am I going to harden my heart? Well, God, let's talk about that. Or am I going to soften and weep and say, God, I'm sorry. That was the case for Brian Zond, who's a, uh, a pastor and also an author. And for him, he went home to watch Operation Desert Storm on the TV back when that was happening. Apparently... America was all super hunger games at one point. We thought we would just broadcast a war for us to watch. Anyways, he goes and gets pizza and invites friends over. And this pastor is like sitting around. They're all watching the hunger games on TV. They're watching the war. It's like the Colosseum of Rome. They're watching people die as entertainment and eating it. And he's not thinking anything about it. It's broadcast on TV. It's just entertainment. And then... I think it was years later, he's sitting in his office at church and God brings the memory back to him out of nowhere of him sitting, eating pizza, watching people die. And God says, that was your greatest sin. Now, how's he going to respond? Some people might be like, well, God, it was on TV. It wasn't like I didn't take joy in it. it was, maybe it was kind of like a social experiment. I, I don't really know that I would... Some would go that route, whereas for Zond, it was weeping. Oh my goodness, what have I done? His entire life is different now as a pastor. The themes that he preaches on are <laughs> very pacifistic and not accepted by very many and very angry Twitter comments back at him all the time. He didn't choose that kind of life. <laughs> God bestowed it upon him. This was your greatest sin, dude. And then he repents and then makes his life about helping others see how he sinned so that we can see that in ourselves. God sometimes pulls things out. Zond, here's the stink fruit piece of your life. <laughs> David, here's the stink fruit piece of your life. Jamin, you've been focused on these stink fruits. Focus on these stink fruits. <laughs> and you know, a lot of times we're just not aware we have to be made aware. I think racism this year has been one of the big things that the world is, is finally waking up to. I was just at a conference this past Monday. Uh, we did it in small groups across the world instead of a big gathering, of course, with Corona. But at this conference, you know, there's this black pastor on the stage and they're like, how do you feel now that people are finally recognizing the racism, that white people are finally recognizing the racism that's inherent in systemic racism and, and in other forms of racism, racism in our lives. And the guy's like, I, I mean, I'm happy that they're seeing it, but, you know, we've known about this for a long time. <laughs> so on one hand, like, we're happy the world's waking up to it, but on the other hand, like, what took so long? 
I think what takes so long is sometimes our pride. Like for me, growing up, I would be a person who's like, I'm not a racist. As everyone I know <laughs> would say, very few people out there, you know, want to actually go like, no, I'm a straight up racist. Most people are like, no, I'm not a racist. And I've said that my whole life, but then God brings little things to my mind out of nowhere when I'm not expecting it. Jamin, you did this. Well, how am I going to respond? Well, God, that's not, uh, that's not exactly racism. Or am I going to soften my heart? Be like, you're right. That was prejudice. I judged someone by being different from me in some minute way that didn't matter. I think the most recent one that he brought to my attention when we had first, this is in the early years of 1208, two or three years in, uh, another church asked us for their newsletter to just kind of tell our story as to how 1208 came to be. So I wrote it down. It used to be a Latino church. And as I'm kind of writing our bio, I'm saying like it's not necessarily just Latino anymore. But the word that I use instead of Latino is Caucasian. And I think in my mind I was probably trying to say like it's not Spanish speaking, it's English speaking. But that's giving me too much credit. Because when people came at me, they're like, Jamin, we're not a Caucasian church. Instead of softening my heart, I got defensive. Well, you know, we could be more multicultural if we're going to call ourselves multicultural. I had several people come up to me about this. And rather than admit that I was wrong, rather than say that I had done something that could be counted as racist that I had ignored our own community, that I had ignored those who, who would be in the minority. I tried to defend myself. And for that, <laughs> I apologize. I ask for your forgiveness. I let that go. I forgot about it. And then God brings it to my mind over the last two months and keeps replaying it for me. Jamin, <laughs> you got to look out for things like this. You got to pay attention to those around you. What do you do in those moments? Jamin from eight years ago would be defensive. Jamin today on that same memory sees God breaking his heart and saying, you're right, I need to be better than that. This is the art of the prophet to tell stories for us to find our role in it. You know, Olivia pointed this out on a Jackson Cloud episode we recorded a few weeks ago. Just like the parables give us a chance to find where we are in the story. So rather than get defensive from the get-go when the story is done, we're like, oh, wow, who were we? Are we the good Samaritan? Are we the priest that walked by? Or are we something else? And as much as I wish that as Christians we could no longer be stink fruit people, <laughs> the truth is the cross empowers us to stop growing stink fruit altogether. That if we lay off this old flesh and instead put on the resurrected flesh and live by the fruit of the Spirit, we can finally become the people that God has called us to be. But if we don't do those things and we just say, well, Jesus, I believe in you, but I'm going to keep living my life the way that I always have, well, then we can keep creating stink fruit. There were plenty of people in Israel who believed that God was real, but did not echo that with their lives. 
and therefore produced stink fruit. And much of the world today is tired of looking at stink fruit because they know, they've heard the story of Jesus. They've heard about the self-sacrificial love on the cross. They've heard about all the good things that he stands for and that God loves us. But when they look at Christians sometimes, they don't catch that glimpse. They catch the stink fruit. And those of us who are trying not, I mean, we all, we all got that in our lives. But those of us who are, are trying to say, like, we're better than this, have to work extra hard <laughs> to make that known. And sometimes we have to call each other out as Christians. Like, hey, this was inappropriate right here. And you're showing a bad witness to the world as to who Jesus is. Let's grow in this. And the question becomes, will we soften our hearts and learn as those moments come around? Or will we harden it and make excuses? And I, of all people, am guilty of that time and time again. Taking on struggles throughout my whole life. I get it. But let's lay ourselves down at Jesus' feet. Say whether I want to hear what you have to say or not. I'm putting myself here. Please speak. And help me have this fruit of the Spirit to respond well. So as the band comes up, you know, just turn yourselves over to, uh, to God in this time. It's, it's been a tough world out there. I think 2020 has been a lot of little things that have bubbled up in our lives throughout the years, just kind of exploding in our faces. <laughs> it brings out, I think, the worst things about us has, has kind of spouted out sometimes. It's in those moments where we just need to turn to Jesus and say, your grace is enough to save me. Your grace is enough to, to resurrect me. But God, I need more of your spirit today to keep growing the fruit of who you are inside of me. I want to be the real vineyard that you've called me to be. To be your beloved. So help me pursue that when it's so much easier to embrace the old flesh and what the world's calling me to. So let me pray for you as we uh, get started. God, your grace is enough for us. We cannot earn salvation. We've never been able to. Because salvation is not something that we are ever able to attain by our own merits. By the very fact that we have any stink fruit in our life, we are therefore completely incapable of ever achieving salvation. But... You achieved it for us, and now you give it to us freely, saying, through Jesus, we can be forgiven. And Paul tells us that if we have the foundation of Jesus, that's enough. That's all we need. We are saved by our faith. Some people will spend more time building up big houses upon their faith. And when the end comes and the houses are burned down, there will still be some stuff remaining. And that stuff will be the gift of, of coming into heaven with, with more that we've impacted the world with. But 
those who have the whole house burned down because they spent no time working on building up their faith. So long as they still have the foundation of Jesus, they too will be saved but by the skin of their teeth. But God, Paul was not painting a picture in which he hoped that people would build little huts. He was painting a picture in which he hoped that the church would rise up and be the church, that they would make a difference, that their lives would shape the world around them, that heaven would come to earth through what they do, that the stink fruit would pass away, and the true vineyard with a great vintage would rise up, that the church would get a taste of new wine, and that they would become that new wine to the rest of the world. Teach us, help us grow. You have not given up faith on us. You have not given up grace. You will forgive every time, just like you did David, despite the horrible atrocity that he did to the point that David himself was like, God, I, 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 whoever did this, they need to die. Despite the fact that David would pronounce that over someone who ends up being himself, God, you were more gracious. And though he did have consequences for his sin, he was forgiven. So God, we put ourselves before you. Forgive us and now help us grow. Let us take in conviction, not condemnation, because you want everyone to be saved. But let us take in that conviction, that humble, soft conviction that brings us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen.